Our God is marvelous. Amen. He has shown us a great and magnificent and marvelous love through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He is worthy of our praise. And He is worthy of us singing about His marvelous love, just like we just did. I guess you could say that this message today is kind of part two in a sermon that I started last week. Uh, last week, the sermon was about love. Uh, today, this morning, this sermon is about love. Uh, last week, the sermon was more, in, more about how uh, the, in 1 John it says to love each other. Today, I want to talk to you about God's love. I want to talk to you about the love that God has for us. After all, this is a basis for how we're supposed to love each other. The Bible gives us a lot of commands about love. The Bible tells us to love. The Bible tells us who to love. The Bible tells us how to love. The Bible tells us when to love. The Bible gives us all types of contexts in which we are to show love to each other, uh, to our enemies, to our neighbor. And the Bible gives us lots of examples of how this love is supposed to be carried out in all the multiple spheres of life. Last week, we talked about how one of the spheres of life that love is supposed to be seen is among Christians. And I made the statement that when the Bible says to love one another, it's not necessarily talking about the love that we show to people on the outside. The Bible talks about how we are to love each other. Christians loving Christians. That's what the Bible means when it says love one another. And so I made a statement last week as one of our characteristics of someone who truly knows the Lord that uh, true Christians love other Christians. Now, we don't love everything about every Christian we know. There are certain things about us that are certainly unlovable, but true Christians love other Christians. They want to be with other Christians. They want to be around other Christians. And they want to sacrifice themselves to make sure that other Christians are okay. And I pointed out last week that that's what love truly is. And I'm going to talk about that again today. That a distinguishing characteristic of love is not necessarily a feeling, not necessarily even words, but it has to do with sacrifice. And so today we're going to look at this basis. The basis of the love that we're to show to others has to be founded in the fact that God is himself a loving God. So we're going to talk about God's love today. We're going to talk about God's love. Uh, and I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 21. This is, this is a big chunk of Scripture that we're going to read today. A big chunk of Scripture. And I have to tell you that I wrestled, I wrestled through you know, exactly what to emphasize as, as, I, as I studied this passage today. And I chose to really focus primarily upon God's love and how He has shown us that love through Christ. And I'll, uh, and I'll get there in a moment. For now, uh, let me just ask you to stand as we read God's Word together. And uh, as we just give attention to what God has to say to us today from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It starts off with the command that we looked at last week, let us love one another. And then it makes some statements about where love comes from and some statements about, about God and about who He is and how He has shown us love. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, now here's, here's this phrase, we're going to see it twice, because God is love. That's a, that's a bold statement about who, who God is. 
Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's a big chunk. I mean, that's a big bite from God's word right there. As you can see, I mean, there's, there's, just, there's just some phrases in here that we could spend a whole sermon on. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do something today. I want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you to read this chunk of Scripture, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. I want you to meditate on it every day this week. There is so much there that God has to say to us. But today we're going to focus in... On his love. Pray with me. Father, today I pray a simple prayer. Would you show yourself to be a God of love to this group of people here today? Show yourself, demonstrate yourself to us as a God of love. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, as I said, a big chunk of Scripture so many things that could be said um, about, uh, about that passage. It's interesting as I, as I meditated on it this week and I, I thought about what, what I would preach on. And I actually produced less notes. Now, I'm not promising you're going to get a shorter sermon. So those of you who have been crossing your fingers, uh, I'm not promising you're going to get a shorter sermon. Uh, but I actually have less notes, even though this chunk of Scripture is, is a lot bigger and a lot longer, because I just really wanted to focus in on God's love today and talk about His love. And I guess the first thing that we have to say about this is that love is a primary attribute of God. How many of you have ever done study of the attributes 
of God. It's probably pretty likely if you have decided that you're going to do any kind of in-depth study um, at all of Scripture, that somewhere along the line that you decided, hey, let's, let's study the attributes of God. After all, that makes sense. If you want to know who God is, you study the, the primary characteristics and attributes of who He is. Every, everyone has attributes. Now, what I did this week is I pulled one of my big fat theology books off of the shelf, and I kind of thumbed through it, and I looked through some of the attributes of God. And you're not going to be surprised by some of these that I'm going to name. Uh, there's some attributes of God, attributes of His being that you've, that, that you've heard of uh, before, such as God is eternal, God is infinite, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is everywhere present. These are attributes of God's nature and God's being. And these are attributes that you and I are never going to emulate. You are never going to be all-knowing. The Bible never, for example, tells us that we should seek to be all-powerful. We will never be like God in these types of attributes. But God also has certain attributes that he wants to be attributes of us as well. We call these, please excuse me, I pulled that big theology book off my shelf today, uh, this, this past week. Uh, there are certain attributes that are communicable attributes. You like that? I wish I was smart enough to, to come up with, you know, describing things that way. There are certain communicable attributes, which means that God wants you to communicate who He is by being like Him to people around you. Now, I'm just, I'm just a simple boy from Mississippi, and so uh, in my mind, I like to describe these as attributes of relationship. Okay, attributes of how a person relates to another person. When I think of communicable, smart but communicable, you know, smart people word, I just, I just think about these, these are just how God relates to people. All of us have certain ways that we relate to people. You might say, you know, well, that guy's nice or she's real gentle, or, or you might say, man, that person is just mean. I mean, they're just hateful. These are, these are attributes, ways of describing certain people by saying how they relate to others. And so we also have these communicable, relatable attributes of God. And these are not going to surprise you. Okay, so here's, here's, here's some of them. Uh, God is just. God is pure. God is merciful. God is patient. God is kind. God is gentle. And if you notice, the main attributes of God, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, the main attributes of God, they are all positive. I mean, after all, we, 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 we like a God like this. We like people like this. And all of these attributes, what I'm driving at, is all of these attributes flow out of one of the primary attributes of God, and that is love. In fact, I personally would say that all of God's relatable attributes flow out of this primary attribute of God, which is love. That's what the Scripture says here. It says not just love is from God, but it says God is love. 
It's one thing to say that someone is a channel of something. It's quite another thing to say that, there, that, that, that an identifiable essence of who a person is is love. You and I can't really say this. You, you, you and I couldn't really say that we, we are love. But the Bible says twice in this passage that God is love. This is not a learned and developed behavior that, that, that is, is part of who God is. You and I have to learn to love better. You and I have to practice it. You and I have to develop it because we're sinful creatures. And we have hate and we have anger and we have all these negative things inside of us. Where The, the, the converse of, of God's attributes, rather than being gracious, you know, we're ungracious. Rather than being patient, we're impatient. Rather than being gentle, you know, we're harsh. God does not have to practice and to develop himself so that he can be loving. It's, it's just who he is. It is just in his nature. It is just his, his, his natural state to be loving. And even, and by the way, this is one of my pet peeves, even in the Old Testament, God is pictured as a God of love. It, it, always, it, it always makes me scratch my head when people say, well, the Old Testament talks about the God of wrath. But then in the New Testament, we have the God of love. I'm like, no, we see a God of love in all 66 books. A previous memory verse of mine uh, was from Psalm chapter, uh, uh, Psalm chapter 145, verse 8. But it's, found in, it's actually found in, in a, lot of, a lot of different places. This is in the Old Testament. I would say that this is probably, if not my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament. And it describes an attribute of God. It describes His nature. This verse is found all throughout the Old Testament. You can find it embedded in places where maybe some not-so-positive things were happening. I came across this verse this past week when I read the book of Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. And uh, Jonah doesn't want to go, so he gets on a ship, and, and they find out, you know, that Jonah's running from God, so they throw him overboard, and Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, and then he gets puked up onto the shore. Gross. And then, you know, he has a conversation with the Lord, and he says, Lord, I didn't want to go to Nineveh. And he gives the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He said, I knew you were a God who was gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah said, I knew that about you, and I knew that if I went, that all those people would repent and get saved, and I didn't want that. So maybe Jonah needed to work a little bit on his love, right? And not just his obedience to God. But we find this everywhere. We find this everywhere. And literally everything that God has done or has allowed to happen is somehow an expression of this relatable attribute of love that is God. So how do we see this? How do we understand that? I mean, whenever we see some of the things that God did in the Old Testament, whenever we see some of the things that happened in the New Testament, whenever we look around the world, whenever you think about some of the struggles that you've had in your own life, 
How do, how do we say that God is a God of love when He would do things that we don't think are very good, or if He would allow things to happen? Not sure there's really a difference between those two, but that's a different discussion for a different day. How do we understand a God of love when we see so much pain in the world? And the, the, the best place that I can go is for you to think about with me the most horrible thing that has ever happened. I want you, not, not to you, I want you to think about the most unjust thing that has ever happened in the world, that has ever happened from the beginning of time. The worst, most unjust, most horrible, terrible thing that has ever happened. And it was Jesus on the cross. That, that was, think about how unjust that was. For the perfect Son of God to be brutally killed and murdered, but yet the Bible shows us that the cross was God's perfect display of love for us. I mean, how hard is that to grasp and to imagine? That a great act of injustice was simultaneously the greatest display of God's love that could ever be seen. So what does love look like? It looks like sacrifice. And Jesus' sacrifice on a cross for you and for me is the perfect display of God's love. Love is more than an emotion. Love is more than how a person feels about you or about how you feel about a person. Love is more than words. I believe that emotions are important. I like positive emotions, don't you? Um, I believe words are important. I, I like positive words to be said to me. I mean, obviously, we all do. But the essence of love is sacrifice. That is the essence of love. That is the concrete action that we see that Jesus gave to us. God displayed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He sacrificed. He gave of himself. And the same is true for how it plays out between how we love one another, between how we love husband and wife, between how we love our kids and our children, how we love our enemies, how we love the world around us when we're doing missions, how we love our neighbor. All of that has to involve some type of action of giving, some type of uh, so, something that is sacrificial in nature. There may be feelings behind it. It may generate feelings after it is done, but the feelings themselves are not love. It is the action. And while all human beings can somehow grasp this, we will never fully understand love apart from Christ. The Bible says this word, I've showed you this word before, the second time this word is used in 1 John, uh, uh, this word propitiation. Again, another big word, maybe it's not in your regular vocabulary, but this is a great word. It is rich with truth. It is rich with explanation of the gospel. Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, this word was used, and here it is again in 1 John chapter 4. Propitiation, basically what this means is this means that the pain of punishment that you deserved for all the bad things that you have ever done, 
all the sinful things that you're currently doing and all of those things that you one day will do, the pain of punishment that you deserve for all of your lies and all of your lust and all of your pride and gossip and rebellion and selfishness and anger and materialism and all of that, all of the pain of punishment that you deserve for those things, Jesus said, I'm going to take that upon myself. And it permanently satisfied the wrath and justice of God. That's what propitiation means. That pain of punishment and separation from God that all of us deserved. It was all placed upon Christ. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't believe that the most painful part of the cross were the nails that went through the flesh of Christ. I don't believe that, the, that whenever Jesus cried out in the garden and he said, he said, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. I don't think that he was talking about the, the, the lashes from the whip or, or the, 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 the pain from the crown of thorns or the nails. I don't think he was talking about any of that. I think that he was talking about in that moment when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And whenever God placed that punishment, that pain of wrath, Upon Christ, I believe that was the hardest part of the cross. And I believe that's the, that's the thing, the primary thing that Jesus took from us. That's what propitiation means. Now, the second thing that I, next thing I would say to you is that God, and this is talking about God's love again, He is always the initiator of love. He is always the initiator. This may be a stupid and silly and ridiculous way of describing this. And I don't have this in my notes. And I usually don't go off script. I probably shouldn't do this. But you know, you know how whenever you were younger and you were like, hey, I kind of like that person and maybe I want to act, ask them out on a date. But like you were scared to. Come on, college students. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, I like that person, and maybe I want to ask him out on a date. I kind of have feelings for him, but I'm scared, you know. And, at some, and then maybe they feel that same way about you. But at some point, somebody, teenagers, you know what I'm talking about, right? At some point, somebody has to, somebody has to initiate, right? Somebody has to do something or say something that kind of exposes the fact that, like, hey, I like you, right? Somebody has to initiate. That is probably one of the least theological examples that I have ever given uh, to, to, uh, to illustrate God's love. But you get what I'm talking about. God is the initiator. He is the one that initiated the relationship with you personally. He is always the one. If we, if, if we were to march through Scripture, we would see God was always the one that initiated the relationship. We don't ever find people just randomly searching around for God and saying, Hey, Lord, I love you. And God going, Oh, really? Hey, I love you back. We don't really ever find that in Scripture. We really find, we really find the opposite. We find God displaying His love, showing His love. And the greatest example, obviously, is Christ. The Bible said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The world was not looking for a Savior. The world was not crying out to be in a love relationship with God. The world was loving other things in, 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 around them. And God said, hey, here's my display of love. And then we respond. 
that's, that's, how, that's, that's how it happened to you personally. You do not naturally love God. You have something inside of you that needs God because you're made in God's image, but you don't just, na- you don't just naturally love Him. You don't just naturally have this passion and this drive inside of you to want uh, to be in a relationship with Him. And so if you have that inside of you, it is because God has done something divine inside of you. If you have a love for God pouring out of you, it's not because you have done that waiting for God to respond and save you. It's because God has saved you and now you have this love for Him that is pouring out of you. In fact, I think I would say, I don't have this for the screen, I think that I would say that this is probably the primary indicator that you know Jesus as Savior, is you have a love for Him inside of you. And I would say that if if there's an absence of that, then you you probably aren't saved. Now, again, I I said this earlier in the service, I said it before, I'll say it again. I can't tell you whether or not you're saved, but you know whether or not you have inside of you a drive and a passion and a love for God in which you want to sacrifice yourself for Him. You want to give yourself up for Him. You want Him to be Lord. You, You want everything to be placed at the foot of the cross. This is a heart disposition that we have before God to where we say, Lord, everything that I am is yours because I love you. I don't care if you make me rich. I don't care if I stay healthy. I don't care if I get the job that I want. I don't care if I live the life that I really wish that I could have. I don't care about those things. Lord, I just love you. I want to be with you. If you have that inside of you, That is an indicator, and I would say the strongest indicator that you know Jesus as your Savior. And if you don't have that, if if you don't have that, you're just missing out. And I would have to ask the question, what is your relationship with God if it's not a love relationship? Where you feel and sense His love, and then you respond to Him in love. And loving Him and loving God, I mean, those those are the first two greatest commandments. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. If you're doing that, if that's happened inside of you, then you know the Lord Jesus. And the second greatest commandment is like it, to love others as as yourself. Something divine has to happen in order for that to happen. And then, So I I just have to ask the question, if that's, that's not your relationship with God, then what is your relationship with God? What emotions and feelings do you exchange with him? What is the, what is the reality of, 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 what is the basis of it? And it's probably something like fear. It's probably something like fear. And the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through verse 19, talks about how perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And I'm not, I'm not afraid of God. I, I revere Him. I have reverence for Him. If, if He appeared to us right now, we would all fall on our faces in reverential fear. But I'm not scared of Him. And I hope you don't live your life that way. 
I hope you don't think, oh my goodness, I've got to follow all these commands of God or He's going to get me. I hope, that's, I hope that's not how you live the Christian life. I hope you don't sit there and think, oh my goodness, I'm late for church. I've got to hurry up and I've got to hurry up and go to church and check that box off because if I don't, God's going to be mad at me. You know, human relationships are sometimes like that. They have all that negative stuff in between them. Do you know that's not how God relates to you? God, you, you, don't, have, you, don't, have to, you don't have to be scared of Him. Listen, you don't have to perform for Him. True love doesn't require a performance. That's, that's not God's love. Human relationships, that's how human relationships work. We get all that negative stuff in between us, right? All that negative stuff. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, I'm scared if I don't do this, then that person won't like me. And then sometimes that person feels that way about you. Oh, I'm really nervous and scared that if, if, I, if I say that, that that person won't love me back. I mean, husbands and wives, think about it. Doesn't, doesn't this happen between, between husbands and, husband and wives all the time? And it might not be fear, it might be distrust. Well, I'm not sure... I'm not, sure I can, I'm not sure I can trust them in that situation. Sometimes they feel that way about you. Sometimes you're mad at them. Sometimes they're mad at you. I mean, there's all this negative stuff that somehow takes place, not just husband and wives, but friends and, and church family and between neighbors and, and the, all, all that negative stuff. Those are barriers, barriers to having a love relationship. And a lot of times what we do is, is we put those things by our actions, our attitudes, and our words. We put those things in between us and other people, and we disturb the relationship because we're sinful. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear something. This is so important. If there's any of that junk between you and God, any of those things that destroy relationships, and I mentioned several of them, you know, tr uh, trust, anger, fear, all these different things. All those things that destroy relationships, push people apart, and create barriers. If, if, that, if those things exist between you and God, God didn't put them there. God, God didn't put them there. You, you put it there. Because we're the sinful creatures. We're, we're the, God is, listen, God is absolutely perfect. You don't, have to, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be scared of Him. You don't have to live in fear like you have to perform. That's, that's not the God that we serve. He loves you. If you belong to Him, if you're His child, He just loves you. And the Bible tells us that that's the type of love that we should show to one another, Christian to Christian. That we should show each other as friends, as spouses, as family members. That's the type of love that we should show our neighbors, people out there around us. That's the type of love that we should show to the world. That's the type of love that we should show to our enemies. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. That we're to have that type of love. And whenever, whenever we have that type of love, this is interesting to me. Whenever we have that type of love, there's something perfect about it. There's something perfect about it. There will always be something missing in our relationship with God and our relationship with others from a, from a relatable standpoint. There will always be something missing without love. Love is like, the, the, well, the word perfection is used in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 and verse 17. 
It says, no one has ever seen God. All right, I, I have never had an epiphany. Uh, Jesus has never appeared to me in the flesh. I've never seen a vision of God's throne. Uh, I've, I've, never, I've never seen God. But the Bible implies here that we can help people to perceive God and see who He really is if we learn to love. If we develop that. He says, if we love, that His love is perfected in us. When we look to Jesus on the cross, and we under, we, when we understand this attribute of God, love, as a primary attribute, and we see that the sacrificial display of Christ on the cross was given to us, even whenever we weren't looking for it, we see that He initiated it with us, and we responded, and now we stand in that perfect relationship with God. And any junk that exists between us and Him is we bring it, and but whenever, whenever we display that love and we have that love, there's something perfect about it. And it really doesn't matter what else might exist. There's always something missing if we don't have love. And this doesn't mean that we're going to walk around perfect all the time. Man, I place junk between me and God all the time, and it's always my fault. I place junk between me and the people that I love whether it be through anger or distrust or any of the other negative things that I mentioned before. I do that all the time. We all do that to each other. We all fail, right? But man, there's something perfect from a relatable standpoint between us and God and us and others when it comes to love. And I, I, I'll read this last passage to you and then I'll, I'll be done. Y'all probably know the passage I'm going to read. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 also talks about this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, look at this, I am nothing. Those are some pretty significant things in our Christian experience. Love and prophecy and knowledge, I mean faith and prophecy and knowledge. He says, without love, it doesn't matter if you have all those things. He says, even if I'm a good giver, I give away all I have, and I deliver my body up to be burned, sacrifice even my body, but have not love. He says, I gain nothing. And it goes on to talk about what love is, that it's patient and kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not easily angered, doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always hopes, all these, all these different things, believes all things. And look at this, verse 8, love never ends, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Do you know one day you will not have to hear me preach anymore? It'll all be over. You, won't have, you won't have to listen to preaching anymore. It, 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 prophecies will cease. Tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, that special knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but look at this. But when the perfect comes. Do you, do you think that it is by accident that the Word of God in the context of who Jesus is and what He has done and who we should be to each other and His second coming, which will one day make everything perfect. Do you think it's any coincidence that it's, that it's mentioned in the context of love? I don't think so. And then it goes on to say, when I was a child, I did childish things. I was a man, I became a man. And look at verse 13. 
And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. One day you won't have to have faith anymore. You won't won't need faith. You'll have sight. You'll be with Jesus in heaven. You won't have to have faith. One day you you won't have to have hope anymore. You will have the fulfillment of everything that you have ever hoped for. But the Bible says that these three, remember, the greatest of these is love. Love, we're going to always be in a love relationship with Christ. We're going to always be with Him. We're going to always be feeling and sensing and experiencing His love, having Him tell us that He loves us, Him showing us His love for all eternity. And if that's not what you're looking for from heaven, you're looking for the wrong thing. If you think, man, I just want to get saved so that Jesus will do all kinds of good things for me. I just want to get saved and I want to do what God tells me to do so that he'll help me get a good job and help me to have money and help me to get married, help my kids to be okay and um, help, you know, uh, help me to have a good church, help me, help me to be healthy, help me not to get sick. If, if that is all you want from God, if, you're, if you're, you're just wanting that out of life, and then you look at eternity and think, oh man, I can't wait to be reunited with all my loved ones that have died. I'm going to be with them again. Oh, I'm going to have me a mansion. It's going to be a great mansion. I can't wait to pick out the furniture. Can't wait to walk on that streets of gold. If this is, if this is what you're looking for, and you're not looking for a love relationship with Christ, you're looking for the wrong things, and you're really, you're really doing your Christianity wrong. We should have a passion and drive inside of us just to be in a relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Does he really have to give you all the things that you want and desire and all the things that you think you deserve in order for you to love him? Do you really, does he really have to perform for you? In order for you to love him, because he doesn't require that of you. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never experienced his love, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to call on his name. Let's bow our head, let's pray. I I pray that the Lord, a simple prayer this morning, that you would just feel and sense God's love today. I hope that that's taken place. If not, would you ask him for it? Would Would you just ask God to reassure you? Just ask God, say, Lord, I just need to hear you say, I just need to hear you say I love you. Would you ask the Lord that today? Say, Lord, I just need, I just need that reassurance. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, I hope that you have been captivated today by the love that God gave you and displayed on the cross. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says, All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. It says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, then you'll be saved. And what I often do is I often just say, if if you'll just pray a prayer, if you'll just say, Jesus, save me. Could you do that right now? If you don't know Jesus, if you're not in a love relationship with him, you say, man, I've been looking for the wrong things. I've just been looking for God to do stuff for me. I don't want that anymore. I want a love relationship with Jesus. Would you just say, Jesus, save me. You spend a few moments in prayer. Come to the altar if you like. Then Andy will lead us in a song.